fly around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop 'em black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food in agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. And today, we are setting the table with old-time heirloom seed and memories of Cades Cove. Our guests today are Lois Schuler Carran and Ruth Carran Davis, along with seed saver and Tennessee treasure John Koykendall. Lois and Ruth talk about a cucumber that Kermit Carran grew and how Kermit preserved that seed from year to year. Also, John Koykendall speaks on the origins and naming of old heirloom varieties of seed. Many in this collection have origins from former settlers of Tennessee in the Cates Cove area. He speaks on the importance of saving heirloom seed, stories, and preserving the cultural and agricultural heritage of Tennessee. Also, I have details of an event that takes place today in Maryville, Tennessee. The annual Cades Cove Homecoming in the historic Thompson Brown House, home to the Cades Cove Preservation Association, and the hours are 10 until 5 with a small craft fair, food, music, and Highland Games. And I'll have a little more information deeper into the show. Let's first hear from Lois Schuler Carran and her daughter Ruth Carran Davis. Lois is known as the last woman out of the cove, and she is the widow of Kermit Carran, who was known as the Bee Man. Kermit shared seed with visitors of Cades Cove as he and Lois's home was situated in such a way that visitors to the park would meet him and talk with him in Lugan's garden, and he'd often send him home with honey and his seed bean. In this recording, we hear a little bit about his bees and a cucumber that Kermit liked to grow and how he saved this seed from year to year. Can you tell me about his bees? Well, he, when he was little, he went to an uncle's house or something. They had bees, and he liked the honey. So he started to do that, and he put uh, got a half of bees. The first year he robbed them, I mean, took all the honey off. They didn't have enough to live over winter. 
So when he got his bees in, he always left some honey on there for the bees to eat up through the winter so they wouldn't die up. <laughs> and he just liked to fool with bees. And he liked the honey, too. Oh, yeah, he liked honey. He ate it three meals a day every day. Did he? Maybe that's why he, I've seen pictures of him. He was trim and seemed to He never to did get fat like us, he'd say. <laughs> he, he didn't like to get heavy, you know. He'd uh, build up a little weight during the winter months, but in summer he always worked it all off. He he sure did make garden, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Everybody that uh, he could, he'd give seed beans, you know. Here's seed beans. And uh, a lot of people's got current seed beans. I'm so glad of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and his mother grew those, so... Really? Yes. And she also grew a little white cucumber. Did she really? Mm-hmm. Were they round? The no, cubes or no. they were just uh, about that long, the best, but uh-huh. they would grow bigger. And he'd let one grow as long as it's, and they'd turn yellow. And he cut it open and put the seeds out in the jar and let them ferment a little. And then he'd wash that stuff off of them and dry them. And it's like going to the store and buying seeds. Boy, I bet those were good cucumbers. Were they a little more tender than some? Very tender, and mm-hmm. the seeds weren't as large. And uh, mm-hmm. now they they weren't a good crisp pickle cucumber. Yes. But mm-hmm. Mom did make pickles out of them, but, but you had to get them when they were oh, little. little to make a good pickle. Mercy, do you, I wonder if those seeds are still out there someplace. Well, we gave, mm-hmm. we've given Little John some. Oh, good. But I don't know if he's still... He's um, come a long ways. He's gardened since he was itty bitty, mm-hmm. and um, we used to share the striped stick beans with him. But inevitably, somebody would want him to plant some other beans, and he would, you know. So it took a while for him to decide that's the bean he wanted to grow and not grow others while he was growing them. And I, I think maybe that happened to the cucumbers. But we'll get him some more. <laughs> he told me he. He confessed to me that he has done that. <laughs> he said, well, sometimes I've not been so good about keeping them 100 yards away or what have you yeah. so they don't cross-pollinate and all that. And yeah. he said, I usually have to go back to Uncle Roy and ask him for more beans. Yeah. <laughs> Live and learn, right? Uh-huh. That's how we learn. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with old-time heirloom seed and memories of Cades Cove. You've just heard from Lois Schuler Colrin and her daughter, Ruth Colrin Davis, and Lois is known as the last woman out of the cove. She is the widow of Kermit Colrin, who was also known as the Bee Man. And they let us know about that little white cucumber that Kermit used to grow and how he saved those seeds from year to year because it was an old heirloom variety that his mama grew and a little bit about how he loved honey so much and keeping bees. And I wanted to let you know about an event today, Saturday, August 28th, in the town of Miraville, Tennessee, is the annual Cades Cove Homecoming at the historic Thompson Brown House, home of the Cades Cove Preservation Association. 
in this house is a museum collection of artifacts and history of the families who formerly made their home in Cades Cove before the establishment of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. There are pictures of Kermit and Lois and Kermit's bee smoker and all sorts of neat old artifacts and pictures. And today there is a small craft fair, food, music, and Highland Games demonstrations. The hours of this event are from 10 until 5 today, and the location is across from Blunt Memorial Hospital on East Lamar Alexander Parkway on the right as you drive towards Townsend. There is no charge for this event, and donations are welcome. More information, CadesCovePreservation.com. And I've placed links to this event, the Cades Cove Preservation Association, my guests, a few pictures, and the podcast download to this show, always TennesseeFarmTable.com. Next up is Seed Saver and Tennessee Treasure, John Koikendall. In the first part of our visit, John will let us know about a cotton seed and a few other varieties of seed that he's been gifted and that he preserves. Some of these varieties having origins from early settlers of Cates Cove. Did you grow cotton this year? Absolutely, and it has a fascinating history. Yay! Tell me about it, would you? You're familiar with the seven sisters, aren't you? The Walker sisters, who lived in the Greenbrier community mm-hmm. in the Great Smoky Mountains. Now, it's interesting that those seven sisters never left the farm. I believe two of them were engaged, but their husbands, I'm not sure if they died in World War II, but for some reason they never married. So all of the sisters stayed on that farm, and they raised everything they needed, their produce right there. And one of the interesting things was this cotton, and I grew it this year. Now, Shannon Walker gave me the seed several years ago, and someone in the family had handed it down to him. But of those seeds that I got from him, this year I was only able to get three of them to germinate. That's it. I mean, that's awfully close to the edge. It is. I have gotten down as low as one seed on things. I only only had one seed, say, in two cases, two beans I had. I only had two seeds of it. Mm. So that's, that's too close for comfort. It is. Anyway, I got three plants from the, these three seeds that germinated, and they made three beautiful bushes, cotton plants, and they were just loaded with cotton bowls, and they were great big ones. They opened up, and looked like a snowstorm in progress. <laughs> but they're really, really beautiful, and out of that seed stock this year, I've been able to cart out a lot of cotton seed out of that. So now that's uh, out of the woods, so to speak. I don't have to worry about it being endangered. Thank goodness, John. Now, several years ago, I think it must have been about 15 years ago, there was a lady in town that gave me some seed. She had acquired, I think, from a museum in Oak Ridge, and they had a number of seeds from the Walker sisters. But this seed had been poorly stored for years and years, and she gave me samples of, there were beans, that cotton, and several other things, and I wasn't able to germinate any of them. Mm. So it was dead seed, so to speak. But later on, a few years later, Shannon Walker comes along and gives me this, the same cotton. So I, I had good luck with it this year. Next year, we're going to plant a big row of it. Well, some people might not know who Shannon Walker is. Will you tell us? Shannon Walker is a great individual. He's a great preservationist. He worked at uh, 
same job I did. And he was, uh, he was good at, uh, I say, preservation, canning, making all sorts of canned products. He was good at uh, just a, a number of things, and he loves, uh, loves preservation, saving old seeds and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So mm-hmm. I was so glad to get that uh, seed from him, that one. Yeah. For, for me as a seed saver, you know, failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine going back and saying, well, I had the, the seed, but none of it came up. It's, a, it's all gone. Then this would be on me. I failed at that. It's my responsibility, or my, the ball's in my court, so to speak. It's so true. Tell me how you felt when Shannon gave you that seed. Well, I was really excited about it because I'd had it once before, mm-hmm. and that seed was totally dead. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, that's the end of it. I'll never see any more. Now, the beans that I have, I have several different ones from Cade's Cove. Do you? And I believe, from what I can remember, one of the old beans that they gave me that was from the Walker Sisters, I think I have one. It's called the Cade's Cove Cut Short Bean. And I'm pretty sure that was one of them. And I have several others that most likely they would have had at that time. So there's a... This won't be the original seed from their stock that they've raised, but it would be the same one, and and those seeds were generally handed down through communities. So if one person had it, chances are they got it from another farmer, another family, so it would would have a common background, being the same variety. I'd prefer it came directly from them, Mm -hmm. but in this case I have to do second best. And sometimes guessing, I have to, Mm -hmm. using guesswork. Mm I have an old bean that's a oblong, it's sort of a golden tan seed, and it was grown over in the Greenbrier area. Now this, mm-hmm. I've seen this bean under numerous names, it's very common. A lot of your old varieties, they would have different ones. I have one bean that I think I have seven different names for. <laughs> one, In one case it's called the Granny Bean, the Tennessee Cut Short, the Lear Bean, Old Time Brown Stick, and several others that I no longer remember. But this is all the same one, and that bean actually is the Tennessee Cut Short. It's about four inches long. It makes a cut short refers to the fact that the seeds are tightly packed in the pods. In other words, like taking your knuckles and pushing them together. Okay. They, they have indentation from where they press together as opposed to an oblong type of bean that has spacing in the pod. So this one is, I do believe, is the old Tennessee cut short bean. Mm -hmm. But the most common way of naming these things was generally by a family name. The family that grew these things, preserved them over the years, it would become known in that community, say as the Lear bean. I've got one example from the Lear family up near Gatlinburg. <clears throat> this is in the years before the park. So that family passed that down over the years, and that bean was referred to and known as the Lear bean. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was one other name for it, I just remembered. It's called the Tick bean. <laughs> now that's a rather unappetizing description, but the reason it, terrible. the reason it had that name, the tick bean, is in the green shell stage. In other words, when they're fresh, you shell these out. They have sort of a grayish white appearance, like a swollen tick, a dog tick. 
like and, a castor bean seed. Yeah, and again, that's not a very appealing uh, advertisement mm -hmm. for that particular bean. But <laughs> many times they would use descriptive names, the mm -hmm. family names, descriptive names, and sometimes it would be named after an area that it came from, mm -hmm. like just plain Cade's Cove bean. Mm -hmm. Do you donate that bean somewhere, or are those just in very limited amounts? Or The Seed Savers Exchange has the, the one that goes by the name the Lear Bean. Okay. Mm -hmm. They have a good collection of it. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep a good supply of each one at home, especially the ones that I'm offering through the Seed Savers Exchange mm -hmm. yearbook. Mm -hmm. The yearbook is filled with members who are offering varieties. Uh -huh. I told you I had, I think, 96 this year. Now, that's a small number compared to what some people who have them. Will Bonsall up in Maine, who's the curator of the potato collection, I think the English pea collection as well, he has something over 2,000. But he's the curator for their entire collection. So he's responsible for maintaining all of those varieties. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with old-time heirloom seed and memories of Cades Cove. You are listening to our guest, seed saver and Tennessee treasure, John Koykendall. John is sharing with us some of the origins and naming of old heirloom seed and his work in saving seed, and in the second part of this visit, John lets us know about his okra seed, the importance of story banking, some early varieties of corn, and a book that has been made about him and his life's work of seed saving. All of those varieties. What is your okra? I have one called the Chope that was from South Carolina. That's it. That's named after the Chope Indians in the Georgetown region of South Carolina. Tell me how you <clears> came <throat> across that. That was through Seed Savers. A, a member in South Carolina had that, so I wrote and got a sample of it. That's a beautiful uh, okra. Do you grow that every year? <laughs> Not every year. I do things in rotation. Uh -huh. What I'll do is grow a variety out and generally try to get a lot of seed of it. Mm -hmm. And then I might not grow that for several more years. But once in freezer storage under good conditions, then th those seeds will last for years and years. Well, I remember when I worked up there with you, you grew this big, beautiful purple hull bean. And the, it was a, the year of the drought, 2007. Terrible drought. And uh, you had a big pile of, uh, I think, the red calico butter bean, I think. Yes, uh-huh. And boy, didn't that do well during that drought. One thing about your field peas and butter beans, mm -hmm. they require very, very little input very little uh, water input, no fertilizer. They can't stand prosperity. You see, these are nitrogen fixers. So if you put nitrogen, the nitrogen on these, they're going to, it's kind of like uh, feeding a fat kid Twinkies on a couch. He's got no incentive to get up and do anything. In other words, they make all vines, no production. In other words, no pea pods. You have beautiful, lush vines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And butter beans even more so because they'll just, they go crazy. So you don't want the fertilizer or any special attention. Just put them out and pretty much ignore them. And they'll generally do a good job for you. You taught me what shattering means <clears throat> that year. Will you tell us what that means? Shattering is an old term which refers to the wild ancestors. We'll use the butter bean as an example. Butter beans, by the way, are limas. They're all of the lima family, but 
the butter beans or speckled butter beans. It's an old southern term referring to your ones that are, have coloration on them, modeling, seed coat modeling. So the pods of these are very, very closely related to their wild ancestors. When those dry, if you go up and touch them, they'll spring open, disperse, it'll shoot the seed out direct. In other words, seed dispersal. Mm. <clears throat> so that is what's, uh, what that term refers to. Well, that's, uh, so your, your varieties that are not heirlooms, do they do that or they stay closed? They don't do that. They've been, they've become totally dependent on uh, people. They've been bred down for many different traits. Mm. size, shape of the pod, and the and in modernizing these varieties, they've lost those old traits. Bloody butcher corn is something that Sheila was telling me she needs some of. Um, did y'all grow bloody butcher? We haven't grown it this year, mm-hmm. but bloody butcher dates to 1848, and it's an old milling corn, mm-hmm. but it makes a great meal. Mm. Makes some good cornbread. It does. Makes excellent cornbread. You know, a lot of your old varieties, well, actually, all of your old varieties, if you look through your historical sources, read back to the old days, they'll refer to, uh, like when they were taking the census on farms, they would say so many uh, head of cattle, so many sheep, go through the whole farm, the inventory of it, and they would say X number of bushels of Indian corn. Well, Indian corn, was we still have it today. It's grown mainly as an ornamental. But your earliest of corns, Indian corns, were full of diversity. You look at one ear of corn. It's got red, purple, white, yellow, pink, all sorts of variations on that. And generally, no two ears alike. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it, it was all Indian corn. It's not until much, much later that we refined things down to pure white or pure yellow. So did it start with Indian corn? It did, yes. That's just basic stuff nobody knows, unless you ask somebody <coughs> like you. Well, people have forgotten it. The ones that knew all that have <coughs> long since departed, so it's up to us to revive that and pass it on. That's one of the real important things we do with memory banking. Memory banking involves, I'm going to say that I come to you, I know that you had that large yellow tomato with the pink modeling in it. I think you still have that one, don't you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I come to you and I want a sample of that seed. Well, I want to know your name, something about your family, what was your family history, where did this variety come from? Was it from another state, another country? Were there any special requirements for growing it, special uses? Was it a paste tomato, a canning tomato, just for fresh eating? any historical knowledge also that can go with that. So this is a, it's giving it a family history, so to speak. Otherwise, it's just a tomato. I say, well, Amy gave me a yellow tomato with some pink modeling. Well, what else do you know? I don't know anything else. That's not very interesting. No, it's not. But when we can tell the story of where that originated from, some of your family story, any stories that go with it, how it's been handed down and used, then that makes a big, big difference. It sure does. Well, John, I'm excited that you have this new book, and um, it is called Preserving Our Roots, My Journey to Save Seeds and Stories. And all these years, 
you've been doing this and it's finally in a book with Christina Melton who didn't she put all that together oh mercy I owe it all to Christina Melton and her friend Miss mm-hmm. Hackenberg she did the photography for it <clears throat> Sarah Hackenberg great great photographer and Christina came along and she came uh, showed up one day where I work and she uh, found out that I'd spent time in Louisiana and I had some of my drawing books with me where I do the, the sketches of people and places and things and also the stories written down could be anything from a family recipe to an old farmer's tip any number of things and this book is, is comprised of years and years of collecting you look inside the inside the book itself you turn the, it's just on the inside cover the photographer took pictures of all of these uh, or a number of these journals and those are ones that I've worked on for years and years collecting those stories and so that's what went into making this book actually only a very small percentage of it's in this book I want to do something else another one with it I'd kind of like to focus on some of the individuals <clears throat> like uh, Arlie O'Brien yes that's exactly who I was going to mention he'll be a hundred this August tell, yeah, tell me about him he was born in 1920 and he grew up at a time when well, you know, of course the Great Depression came along nine years later but he grew up just plain poor farm like these folks had nothing but what they raised they once said that if you didn't dig it out of the ground, shoot it out of the tree, or fish it out of the river, you didn't have it. And they referred to it that they literally dug their living out of the ground. Everything that they had was what they made on the farm. Very, very little. You didn't have money. He was saying you didn't have money to, to buy anything with. And you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Our guest today has been John Corkendall, seed saver, storyteller, and all-around Tennessee treasure. To find details and links about John and sources of seed that he has helped to preserve, I've put links about all that on my website, tennesseeferntable.com. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.